Now, Lorna said to me, are you sure that this is the right reading? Because it hasn't got anything about Christmas in it. <laughs> well done. Excellent. Good. Um, <clears throat> but wrong. <laughs> um, do you know, well, it's, we're not in Christmas yet, of course. We're in the period of Advent. And um, I think the world's forgotten that Christmas actually begins on Christmas Day. But then, never mind. <clears throat> um, how do we know about the Christmas story? Well, of course, we know from Luke's Gospel about the shepherds and the angels and about Mary having her visions. We know from Matthew's Gospel about Joseph having his dreams and uh, the wise men and uh, the flight to Egypt and and, and, and the star. Um, From John's Gospel, we know that wonderful uh, prologue that talks about the word became flesh. Uh, and dwelt among us, and, and uh, incredible theological uh, view. But in Mark's gospel, uh, all that seems to be missing. But I would like, to actually, just to point you to the first sentence of this gospel. Um, in fact, just four Greek words. Um, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Um, Let's just have a look at them. The first one, arche. Now, we know that word. Archaeology is a study about uh, uh, the beginnings and, and history. So the beginning, the arche, the, the, the beginning of the gospel, evangelion, the, the, uh, e- the evangelistic, evangelical gospel that we have, good news, the beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ. There's actually only five words, one of them's of. <laughs> so um, that is pretty succinct, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the Christmas message summed up in four words, is it not? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Mark's is the earliest and uh, uh, probably the earliest gospel that was written. It's a very brief gospel in some ways. Uh, and Nearly half of it is the passion narrative about what happened at Easter. Uh, and Mark doesn't particularly get involved in shepherds and wise men, but he, but he does start off with this incredible statement, the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll notice in your footnotes, actually, that some versions have as well the Son of God. Uh, but that's not actually in every version, every manuscript of the scripture. Um, so... Uh, but, it, but it's there in, in our NIV translation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That is the good news of Christmas, is it not? Born uh, in Bethlehem. We don't, we're not even told about Bethlehem or anything here. But the, the nutshell is that it's the beginning of the good news about Jesus. So uh, Mark uh, introduces this theme then very, very concisely. And then he goes straight into someone who's not Jesus. Now, of course, John does the same, doesn't he? In the beginning was the word, uh, but then he goes on to talk about this man called John who came, uh, and then he intersperses that very expertly in some lovely Greek poetry, um, which uh, tells us about how John uh, brought the way for Jesus. Mark goes straight into a message about John, but of course he roots it as well in the Old Testament. So for for Christians who, who think we don't need to read the Old Testament, well... The New Testament writers 
read it and knew that it's so important. And, uh, and so he roots it uh, allegedly in Isaiah, but actually if you are astute, you will notice that uh, verse 2, uh, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your ways, not from Isaiah. It's actually from the very last book in the Bible, in the book of Malachi, um, and the, the, the Old Testament ends on this kind of hanging note. Does anyone know what the last word in the Old Testament is? Do you know? Curse. Yeah, the very last word in the Old Testament is curse. Uh, and um, so it, 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 it lends with a kind of a threat, but also a promise. Suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will appear in his temple. And uh, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's in Malachi chapter 3. But of course, Mark is actually using that as a way of introducing the text from Isaiah chapter 40. A voice of one calling in the desert Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Or, a one of, voice of one calling, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Either way, uh, it, 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 makes, it makes perfect sense. And it talks about the beginning of the good news. Uh, and the beginning of the good news actually started with Abraham, a long time ago. Uh, but... Uh, at uh, this point, it starts with the last of the prophets. If you like, John sits very neatly uh, between the Old and New Testaments. He's the, the last, if you like, Old Testament te- uh, prophet, but he's also the, the forerunner of the Christ. So he sits astride the two Testaments, and he links all that's gone before with all that is to come in Christ. And he goes out in the desert, and he calls out, "'Prepare the way for the Lord!' I guess you've seen, you don't see them quite as often now, the sandwich board people in the high street, do you? You know, walking. But we think they're a bit weird, don't we? But actually, that's exactly what John was doing. Only the people at that time were receptive. They were receptive because they knew that their society had broken down. They were under Roman occupation. They were longing for somebody to come and set them free. And uh, so when... uh, there were various false messiahs that appeared uh, in the time, which were in the kind of intertestamental period, the people who, who they all thought this was, this was going to be the messiah, and it turned out that it wasn't. So when John comes, they're, they're just longing with anticipation to, for something to come, but he makes it quite clear, I am not the messiah. It's not me. Uh, the one you've got to wait for is the one who comes after me. So if you like, look through me. Don't look at my weird clothes and my strange diet. But look through me, beyond me, to the one who is to come. Prepare the way for the Lord. And so he comes with this message, and the message is attached to a a practical action. It's quite useful to do something practical sometimes, isn't it? To, To show that you've responded spiritually. That's what baptism is. It's a kind of a physical way of endorsing a spiritual truth. Um, that actually he gets people to go and go into the, into the River Jordan. It's not always the cleanest river, I believe. Um, could be quite a bit of mud there. Um, but actually, as, 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 a, as a symbol of washing away our sin, doing something tangible to show that you've turned away from your sins. 
and, and, and confessing their sins. Now, we, we, we need to be, watch out with this one. When we, when we are baptized, it's good to confess our sin, but not all of it, please. Not all of it in public. Um, some things are appropriate and some things are not in public. Um, but we do need to confess them at least to the Lord and to bring those, that confession. So John's message is really about repentance. But I wanted to, to take repentance as being not what we often think of as repenting from something. You know, maybe you've got a habit which you, you can't kick and you really want to kick that habit. Uh, and so when you think about repentance, we, we always think about turning away from that activity, habit, whatever it might be. But actually, repentance has a deeper meaning. It means turning towards. It's more about turning back to God than it is about turning away from sin. But it's both. It is both. But if, if, we, if we think of it in a positive sense, John is calling people to turn back to the Lord. Look to him. And in fact, he's coming to meet you, so why don't you make sure that you are getting ready to meet him? It's about the preparation, and hence uh, I, I thought of that song um, which we sang earlier, the, which is called The Preparation. Preparing to meet with the Lord. So this character, John, uh, is, is a signpost in a sense, isn't he? He's a signpost to the more important person who's coming. And I wonder whether that is the case for us. Are we signposts to Jesus? Or are we people who maybe attract attention to ourselves? I know I'm often guilty of that. But we should be signposts who point beyond ourselves to Jesus, who is the one who is coming. And so um, he points and he says, actually, I baptize you with water, but among you is one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Water can only do a certain amount, but the Holy Spirit can reach the parts that other fluids can't. (laughs) And he's quite clear that this one who comes after me is more powerful. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals, he says. And then Jesus at that time, Jesus. Now, of course, we realize if you read the other Gospels, if you read Luke, you'll realize that Jesus and John are cousins. And therefore, they probably, well, they must have known each other at some point. Uh, John's out there in the desert. Jesus is in the carpenter's shop in Nazareth. And, uh, but Jesus, Jesus comes. Whether, whether John knew who Jesus was, he knew that him as a person, but whether he knew at that point that he was the Messiah... Uh, I don't know. Uh, it sounds in the scriptures that maybe John was quite, uh, had to wait for a sign, if you like, before he knew just who it was that was coming. Um, and this, uh, we could talk about this a lot, but Jesus comes to be baptized, and that, which is a strange thing, isn't it? Because why would Jesus need to be baptized? It's something I always ask people at baptism class. Um, did he need to turn away from his sins? No. Did he need to turn back to God? No, he was sent from God. Um, so, you know, that's an interesting question, isn't it? But he came to identify with us and to be obedient to his father, even if necessarily to us it doesn't seem re- why he should, 
he should do that. Now, um, one baptism class uh, I, I was conducting had some teenagers, and, and it had a seven-year-old girl in it. It's not the one I went out to baptize in Canada. It's another seven-year-old girl, a very bright young lady, and ended up going to Oxford. But when, when she was in that baptism class, she says, Now, why, if Jesus is the Son of God, and he and the Father are one, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one. Why does the Spirit come down on him? There we are. That's a seven-year-old's question. Answers, please, on a postcard. Yeah. Yeah, he was both fully God and fully human, and so he needed the Spirit to kind of if you like, be the go-between God. There's a book called The Go-Between God. Uh, that's quite a good description. Yeah, it, But, it, you know, that's a deep question for a seven-year-old, isn't it? And we don't all have answers to those kind of questions. But, but Jesus, as you say, he was fully human. He suffered in every way, just as we are. He needed God with him. Um, but I'm, I'm just thinking about this whole subject of preparation for Christmas. Uh, I, uh, we went to a wonderful party last night, so thank you very much. Uh, there's an awful lot of preparation went into that party. Uh, and I guess some of you are expecting to have family over at Christmas and you're, you're getting out and doing things. I actually did some shopping on Friday. I did actually land up and buy something for myself. Um, but it's a rare thing. But I actually came back, I was quite stressed when I went. But when I came back, I was reasonably relaxed, wasn't I, Karen? Yes. <laughs> but I, I hate shopping and all that kind of stuff and all that preparation. But, it, you know, there's things that have to be done, don't they? You know, if your family are going to come, we're going to have 11 on Christmas Day. Uh, you've got to have some food for them. Uh, you know, you've got to do that. And, and you've got to make sure that you've got a present for everybody and all that kind of thing. You know, it's, it's lovely. It's fun, isn't it? But actually, what kind of preparations are we really called to do? for Christmas. We're actually called here to prepare our hearts. We sang earlier, let every heart prepare him room. And it's all very well if you've got your, your larder full and you've got a lovely stuffed turkey and you've got everything on the tree and all the presents wrapped. But actually, we haven't prepared our hearts for Jesus. How easy it is, isn't it, to get caught up in the rush of life and... Um, so I was very pleased to um, to welcome yesterday my friend Norman, who's come to be the uh, minister at Ash Hill Baptist Church. It's a really lovely, lovely service over there. And Norman, um, I met Norman in 2003 um, at the Northumbria community, and he's been part of the Northumbria community for a while. And one of the things which the Northumbria community go by is, is the, the need of prayer and silence and solitude and actually making space in our busy lives. And um, so I'm, I'm delighted that Norman's come here and, and there, there is a, a plan by both the church and Norman to make a kind of a retreat centre at Ashill, which is, which is a really exciting uh, possibility, you know, and uh, something much needed in this busy age. So do pray for Norman and the, and the five members of Ashill Baptist Church um, as they look to the future and um, how that they could use their premises. So that, that's really good. But actually, we do need to make time to prepare spiritually. And, and I'm, I always know 
when I stand in front of you, that I am the least qualified to tell you that. Because I also get caught up in, you know, emails and all the kind of stuff that we do. Um, but we do need to take time uh, to, to do that. And um, so part of the preparation was baptism, turning to God. But then notice what happens as soon as Jesus is touched by the Spirit, the dove comes down. Um, incidentally, if you're looking for that to be a beautiful white uh, dove out of your dove cot, you'd be wrong. It, the, the word um, uh, peristera means a rock dove, which is a kind of dull-looking grey dove. Um, so, you know, the birds can teach us things. They're, they're, they're kind of not the most exciting. They look a bit like a pigeon, really. Um, so it wasn't a kind of beautiful white bird. It was an ordinary grey bird that came down. Sometimes we're looking for the spectacular, supernatural, and actually it's in the ordinary that God meets us. Um, but as soon as the Spirit comes into Jesus, it sends him into the desert. And again, Mark's uh, gospel doesn't tell us the full story about the questions that, that, uh, that the devil posed to Jesus and the temptations of making him turn water, uh, bread into in, in, uh, stones into bread and all that kind of thing. We're not told any of that, but in one very short, succinct sentence again, he was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Or the wild beasts and angels uh, does that kind of match up with your life? Wild beasts and angels? There are wild beasts that want to devour us, aren't they? And we have to face them sometimes. But actually, it's when Jesus was facing those wild beasts of temptation and, and, and all the, the physical uh, discomfort of being in the desert for 40 days, actually, that the angels attended to him. So sometimes our preparation is not all just nice sitting down quietly, but actually it is facing the wild beasts within us. But it's actually facing the wild beasts wherever we meet them. But knowing that angels attend us and knowing, of course, as we go on, that Jesus is with us. So I think this is a, 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 an Advent passage. I think it, the, the gospel in a nutshell, the beginning of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, so let's prepare him room in our hearts um, this Christmas. And um, I think we should be quiet now as we just um, reflect on, on our lives. Maybe let's just spend a few moments in silence before we sing our final song and invite the children back in.